In today's Gospel, which is taken from John chapter 17, Jesus prays, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, just as we are one. In this prayer, Jesus is interceding for his disciples at the end of the Last Supper. John 17 is sometimes called Jesus' high priestly prayer because he appears in the priest's role of intercessor and mediator. The Last last Supper takes place on Holy Thursday, before the events of Jesus' Passion. But the words of his high priestly prayer sometimes seem to suggest that the events of his Passion have already been accomplished that he is already speaking to the Father in heavenly glory. This makes it especially fitting as a gospel text for today, the seventh Sunday of Easter. Last Thursday, the monastery celebrated the solemnity of Jesus' ascension into heaven. Next Sunday, we will celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit on the solemnity of Pentecost. We find ourselves between ascension and Pentecost— And it is here that Jesus makes intercession on our behalf. So what does he ask for? Again, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are one. As Jesus prepares to leave his disciples, he prays that the Father may guard the unity of the Church he is now bringing into being through the Paschal Mystery. Now, the key to this prayer, I would suggest, lies in a short phrase that we could easily overlook. Keep them in your name that you have given me. The name which the Father has given Jesus is his name, Father. It is in this name, Father, that Jesus has protected and guarded his disciples as a father himself on the Father's behalf. Jesus is not just the disciples' Lord and God, their Messiah, their rabbi, their brother and friend. He is also their Father. And he now asks that the Father continue to keep them in this fatherhood he has exercised. How will the Father do this, with Jesus now ascending to his right hand? Before we seek to answer this question, Let us first acknowledge that speaking of Jesus as Father does not come naturally to us. Nowhere in the New Testament is he referred to by this title. There are indications, however, that he did understand his relationship to his disciples as paternal. In both John's Gospel and Mark's Gospel, Jesus refers to his disciples as children— Children, he says in Mark 10, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. At the Last Supper, during the so-called farewell discourse that precedes his high priestly prayer, Jesus says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. I will not leave you orphans, he says. Only a father would offer such a word of reassurance. Now, Jesus remains the second person of the Holy Trinity, the divine Son of God, who in his incarnation has become the human Son of Man. But as John the Evangelist says at the outset of the Last Supper, Jesus 
knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, all things, including the Father's own paternal role. Jesus makes the divine fatherhood personally and physically present. Jesus begets, nourishes, and teaches his disciples in the same way that the Father has begotten, nourished, and taught the Son himself. But Jesus doesn't just resemble his Father as human sons do. He is the perfect image of his Father. In the words of Isaiah's famous messianic prophecy, he is not only the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, but he is also, and we we don't often notice this, the everlasting Father. This is why when Philip says, show us the Father, Jesus can say in response, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So bearing that in mind, let us now return to the question I posed earlier. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus asked that the Father continue to keep the disciples in the incarnate fatherhood that the Father has bestowed upon him. So how will the Father accomplish this, with Jesus now ascending to his right hand? The answer to this comes only at Pentecost. It is the Holy Spirit who will take what belongs to Jesus, his incarnate fatherhood, and give it to us. It is this incarnate fatherhood which will protect the unity of the Church for which he prays. Now, this takes a variety of forms in the history of the Church, and I'd just like to mention two here. We see already in the first reading from today's Mass, Peter exercising a fatherly role in the midst of the disciples. Paul, certainly, in his letter to the Corinthians, says that he has begotten them uh, as a father through the gospel. So these are what we might call sacramental forms of fatherhood. But there are also other forms, forms we might call uh, spiritual fatherhood, the charism of fatherhood that comes through prayer and asceticism. And according to Pope Emeritus Benedict, this is one of the great witnesses of the early monastic tradition this new spiritual fatherhood which St. Antony and the other early monks exercised after withdrawing from the world and devoting themselves to prayer, they could then turn, as people began to come to them, and offer teaching, counsel, healing. So it is this incarnate fatherhood, both in its sacramental and spiritual forms, which will protect the unity of the Church This unity is threatened by the hatred of the world, Jesus says, and by the attacks of the evil one. We see in our world an increasing rebellion against the very notion of fatherhood itself. Not just against uh, the institution of fatherhood, but against tradition of paternal authority, paternal wisdom, even the distinctly paternal form of love. Powerful forces in our culture reject even the order of biological paternity itself. Our culture no longer values and honors fathers and fatherhood 
and this cannot help but affect us. So if we look for the the influence of the world in our own hearts, what do we discover? And what might we do about it? Well, first I would suggest we should seek to reimagine fathers and fatherhood after their divine model, after the model of Jesus. By meditating on the Gospels, we can allow our minds and hearts to be transformed by the mysteries of his incarnate fatherhood exercised in the midst of his disciples. He who has seen him has truly seen the Father, has seen the mystery of fatherhood itself in the flesh. Once we have glimpsed this and allowed ourselves to reimagine fatherhood, we can then seek to build up the unity of Christ's body through loving fathers who are in our midst. Do I recognize his incarnate spiritual fatherhood in the Church's pastors? Do I recognize his charismatic spiritual fatherhood in uh, the fathers of, of the monastery, the monastic community? By loving and honoring priests and bishops, by loving and honoring the father of the monastery, we render love and honor to Christ himself. Only in this way can the Church, so wounded in our own day by scandal, false teaching, and ideological polarization, become one as Father and Son are one in the perfect love of spiritual fatherhood and spiritual sonship.